Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Podcast Assemble, the show where you come for your rambling, geeky download. My name's Tommy, and I am delighted, as always, to be joined by my friend and co-host, who's still across the pond. It's our theoretical physicist of the pod, DL. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm across the pond still. It's like, I haven't been home for this long in a long time, like six weeks. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It's hot. I hate it's you. You're hot. looking so tanned and well. And you shouldn't you shouldn't look that well. It's not fair on the rest of us. Yeah, well, it's it's all coming to a crashing halt <laughs> next week. So, and I can't wait. Yes. Come come back to the dark side. I'll look I'll look nice and pasty for you. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> like it's, but it's actually way too hot here. Like you step outside, you're like, fuck. Global boiling like, getting you good. Well, I guess like L.A. is a desert, and I'm yeah, literally. Why. Because it's fucking hot. <laughs> What's the temperature in not Fahrenheit? I don't know, but it just feels fine. It'd be like surely in the 90s. Well, did you see that news in the week that they're, they're saying we've moved past global warming and we're now into global boiling? <laughs> A little bit terrifying. Yeah. You know, to be honest, look, it sounds terrifying, but I, you know, I will say like, obviously we got to, you know, get that, do what we can, but what we can is only so much right if india and china don't abide we're kind of fucked and quite frankly if i'm being honest like not to get too political not a political podcast when i see things like the apocalypse show and like you know listen about like all these things like the yellowstone volcano i'm like yeah dude like a comet could hit it and we could go into an ice age like it's all so fragile anyway that i'm like do we really need to like really kill ourselves over this <laughs> like a, a meteorite's gonna come take us out <laughs> i feel like this podcast is gradually becoming the existential podcast <laughs> i don't know man i'm just like fuck let's worry about the fucking space balloon like the space comets or meteors like that's a bigger concern for me the fact that we just have no Dude, idea aliens are real aliens are real why did because the government told me aliens are real i now believe they're real less yeah same absolutely why, why is that a thing like i actually like now i'm like absolutely not they're fake <laughs> <laughs> Am I just a contrarian? Like, they, there's no way the remains they picked up were, were real now. Or at least they're probably Russian or something. I, I just like, now that they've... I just don't... I guess that's a testament to how little I trust the government. I you mean, told me they're real. Now I'm like, they're fake. <laughs> I was fully on board before. But now that you've said this, I'm like, I don't believe a word out of you guys. <laughs> it's opposite day for you. Yeah, they, exactly. They don't exist. We are the only intelligent life in the galaxy. Anyway. I digress. Terrifying. But what have you been, what's been happening, man? What's been keeping you busy in that hot, hot weather? Dude, I've been basically we're running this weird schedule where like, you know, we had our end of quarter calls at like 1130 at night. So I'd like Ew. finish my work day at like 1230. So you're on Australia time in the States. Yeah, I'd start work at like 3 p.m., finish at like, I don't know, 1130, 1230, depending on like when my meetings were. But always we had an end of day call, so I had to be on. Now that's done, it's a bit better. But basically because that i'd end at like 12 30 and be like oh but i still want to like do stuff yeah so i'd stay up to like 2 a.m watching something and then like wake up at 10 and do it all over again. it was just it's i'm in this weird i'm almost adjusted to the aussie time zone yeah, yeah, yeah before yeah. i get back which will actually be helpful but so oh, i've been doing so a lot helpful. of that late night watching been to some dodger games i'm going to see the tears for fears at hollywood bowl oh really fun yeah and uh so i've been to the hollywood i've been to the hollywood bowl twice 
in my time here, which has been pretty cool. I saw a classical artist before. Um, I saw I saw John Williams. Well, not John Williams. John Williams was in the uh, you know the composer for all everything you've ever heard and. You know. Oh my god! <laughs> I thought you meant John Williams is in one of our literal close friends here in Sydney. <laughs> no, like, no, what's he doing over there? John Williams, like the composer and like Star Wars, Jurassic Park, and yeah, Jones, yeah, and many other modern. The things. real John Williams. But so I saw a classical artist at the Hollywood Bowl who basically played a bunch of John Williams stuff, and John Williams was in the audience, and so that was pretty cool. Wow! Imagine yeah. seeing your own music being played back to you. What, yeah. how, how, what experience would that be? But dude, I'll tell you what: the mosquitoes out here are real. I oh my days had one night out, and I showed up within like you know just like the space of my ankle, twenty six mosquito bites. Oh my god, twenty six! I have a picture. I counted them. Put that on our Instagram. I, I think the whole world wants to see that. It's like Jurassic Park <laughs> shit, dude. 26. I was going to say, like, is it like Jurassic World? Do you have like those uh, they, giant bugs that are like eating all the crops? No, nah, they were little, but it, I mean, like in the mosquito world, you know, doesn't matter how big you are, I guess. <laughs> you know, you'd appreciate that. You should, you should. <laughs> <you'd> like, <laughs> Man, I, I get eaten by mosquitoes whenever I'm in like, whenever I'm in Southeast Asia or the States, they, they full go for me. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a pain in my ass. But no, other than that, man, I've been chilling. What about you? Have have you what have you been up to? Dude, so many nice things. We uh we caught up I've been watching a lot of the, the women's uh World Cup. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I actually went to an England game the other day. So my uh my my second my heritage, not necessarily my home, and we, we, we watched a fun game. It was actually after I recorded last week with not nice. now friend of the show, David Potbeckfeld. We we actually went way over. I didn't tell him. I was like, oh, I've got this. I've, I've got a thing. I've got to finish up for around this time. Didn't really like put specifics around it. And then we went way over. And by then I was like, yeah, I was supposed to be at the soccer game like 30, 35 minutes ago. No, <laughs> Luckily, absolute legend. He gave me a lift up. So that was fun. Really fun, man, watching the, the World Cup. They've made a real spectacle of it. And it's nice to see they're putting a lot of more spotlight on it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I haven't watched a single bit of it, but <laughs> no, I mean, like true to my American roots, I join, I, when I moved to America, I just don't care about soccer anymore. <laughs> Except for, you know, I saw Messi's goal. That was pretty cool. Good. Which one? There's been plenty. His, his first one. Um, I saw the highlight. Oh, his free kick yeah. one. Yeah, his free kick one, which is pretty cool. Oh man, he's bringing some real sparkle to that league. I mean, I think, it, I mean, it's cool for like, like uh, people like football out here and you know, the fact that you're getting some of these dudes even in their twilight. But, like, Messi still got, like, time, I would think. Oh. Like, he he did not need to years. do this, right? Like, he, he – you think he could – I mean, you know better than me. Would he be able to start in a Premier League team still? I reckon just on reputation alone he could. Yeah, but skills. Probably. Like, he wouldn't be as dynamic as he was three to five years ago. But who is? Let's be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It does feel like his skill <laughs> yeah, set probably. is, though, like, it's not, like, all power. It is quickness. But yeah. it's more like the agility yeah. of his touch, not like how fast he is. But I could be, I could be completely off base. So I'd, I'd say he's like a luxury player. Like if yeah. you have a really, really good team around him and you can accommodate that, it's like he's not gonna get back and defend. Like he's not, he's just not. So if you've got players, you just need young dudes around him. Yeah, yeah you got players who can run and do all that work for him. Yeah, of course, chuck him in with like a Man City or you know like an Arsenal something like that. He'd, he'd be good in those teams. Anyway, we got him. Anyway, guys, if you want to listen to us banter about our weeks, feel free to stick around. You can absolutely do that. There will be time codes in the description. Jump around like like the film we're going to talk to today has time jumps in it. 
or just give us a five-star review. Woo! Five-star, baby. Instead of jumping around, just skip the jumping around and give us a review of any kind. We'll take it. <laughs> just review us. Give us. That's really nice when you do. We like it when you stick around, but also we love it when you review us. You can do it in-app. You can do it right now. Chuck is in Apple or Spotify or whatever you're in. DL, what have you been up to in our geeky sphere? Obviously, I've finished The Witcher because it's like this show that I'm obsessed with watching, uh, even though it's just yeah. barely above mediocre. I've I've got one episode left, so don't don't spoil the final episode. Oh, you couldn't finish it. Ugh. I right, I, uh, we, I wanted to finish it last night, but my partner's cousin came over. So you've seen the one where they do all the like the time, like oh they have a conversation, and the episode goes over the course of their conversation. It's the one where they're they're at the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's the last one before it ends. The yeah, first half yeah. ends. Oh, okay, so I like that one. I thought that one was fun. Yeah, no, it is fun. The second to last episode is the one where it's just Siri in a desert for an hour, and it's like this is so crap. Oh, that was so bad. So bad. That was so. That's a. That's you know what that is. That's a fucking preview of what's of what's to come. Nah, I don't know. I do. Surely they'll chuck Liam Hensworth front and center. Nah, she's gonna be. They've even hinted like she's gonna be the main character now. Oh, that's and interesting. it's like becoming less of a story about Geralt. Geralt. Anyway, that was like one of the single worst episodes of television I've seen in a while. So dull. So dull. Um. Yeah. The next one's better than that. For what's sure. your What's your highlight review of it overall? Without giving anything away. Um, like it's just like cons- of of the season. Yeah. It's just like the same that it's been, right? Like at its best, and then it's at its absolute worst, and it averages about like a seven five. It likes to jump around like that, doesn't it? It's just moderately above like average. And it's like uh, okay. has so much potential, but largely it's that way because of a few acting performances and yeah. how good the world yeah. is, even though they're doing a yeah. bad job of showing that off. Like it still has uniqueness. I'd say um, the relationships are good as well. I feel like I know we in the first season, we like call out to our episodes prior when we've talked about this show. We told Yennefer to pieces, the actress who played the actor. Who yeah, plays she's, she's I think she's re- like her relationship to Henry Cavill has really grown in it. And you can tell of their on-screen chemistry's got a lot better. Yeah, they've also just given it time, whereas yeah. like before they threw it at your face and they're like, accept that this is the way it is. And it's like, well, no. They will be girlfriend, boyfriend. You need to like give <laughs> you need to give them moments to build that. And I think you just have had that. But I I agree she's kind of most improved. I like we, we were so <laughs> against her and I think she's done she's done but I, I liked her a lot more this season. They gave her more to chew on. Should, should most improved be a uh, <laughs> should that be a category for our end of year award ceremony? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, most improved is a real thing. Like she she's definitely most improved. Siri's a really good actress, but like the at the end of the day, it's just like some of the dialogue is just you can't be good when the dialogue's that bad. And you know, Geralt continues to like Cavill continues to carry the show. Like without him, it's like a it's a six, five or six. It's not even close to a you know it's a subpar show. Yeah, like it, he's he's not even in that second to last episode. It's in like he's all messed up, and I'm not. I don't want you to tell me anything, but like it seems like that's not going to change too much going into the last episode. And I'm like, this show about him, unless he does, unless there's a miracle and he pulls through. Like what? Like I don't see how he can be a big part of that last episode unless that's part of his transformation i'm yeah. not asking for answers i'm just making sweeping statements I, I would say overall the uh what i would say about the show this season the monster stuff is worse huh. like way worse okay there's very very few cool monster scenes whereas one and two I had some... le- i don't think it's worse i just think there's less 
like so there's actually, only there's the one on the boat i remember there's the one in the in the maze there's i quite like the one in the maze i thought that was yeah, fun it was, all right. it was it was over too quick but it's all the cgi is just not very like good. you in the bedroom <laughs> but um got me the the cgi is <laughs> the cgi is just Oh man, do you want to sound less enthused by that? <laughs> Get me. That was too. That was that was just not very sophisticated. Am I supposed to be sophisticated? That's not why I'm here. I don't know. I'm not going to say it again. The CGI sucks, but <laughs> the relationships are better, and I really am intrigued yeah, by the emperor and the emperor's right hand guy. But like again, just not like, enough who there. That, you mentioned the emperor. Who who is the emperor? Is that the guy who's searching for Siri? Yeah, it's her dad. It's Siri's dad. Right, 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 um, right, right. But she doesn't I, know that. I don't know why. My brain just blanked that. But nobody knows that. Nobody knows that except for, I guess, the viewer and him. Great. That's really helpful for everyone in the show, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you searching for her? Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she, she'd be cool to have around. Yeah. Anyway, I just think it's a bummer because there was so much potential. And I feel like they were starting to get some things right. And, you know, now it's over. Like, there's just no way that it's going to be good moving forward. Speaking of things which, you know, had a lot of potential, I have finished the new season, the new Disney TV show, The Secret Invasion Show. Mm. Now, it is currently the worst rated Marvel TV show oh. uh, of the of the MCU, of the MCU era. Really? Yeah, on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you agree with that? I can't see why people are giving it so much hate. Like, it wasn't terrible. Like, I, I thought... I thought um, She-Hulk was probably worse. Like, sorry, I didn't finish She-Hulk. I think I turned, or at least I didn't watch the middle episodes. And I didn't finish Ms. Marvel. That could be because they're for a different demographic or whatever that is. But, like, I would say that would be worse because I wasn't interested enough to finish those shows. Or at least stick with it long enough to get all of the content. Whereas at least this, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to know what happens. Um, I can see why... People might not love it because it doesn't like it jams what was effectively like a few years of storytelling into like six quite short episodes mm. and does a massive retcon to one of the main characters who was there in like the the big final battle of like uh, Infinite uh, Endgame and it's like I can see why people are frustrated with it but I don't think it's the worst one. I just think it's a symptom of what's been going on. Yeah, it probably is. It doesn't inspire me to watch it then. Well, you will watch it because we're gonna talk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna save it and watch it on the flight back, but now I think I might do something else. Like, give it to, give it an episode. See what you think. Like the first, like I would say, if you're not taken by the first episode, it's probably about as you're not gonna get much more <laughs> excited than that. It peaks early. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just consistent. Okay. The, the, uh, the best I could say about it is that it's consistent. <laughs> well, I haven't been watching that, but I did watch the first episode of Severance, and I think that might be the thing I watch on the plane. Oh, Have you seen it? Because I want to watch that. That's been on the list for ages. Dude, the first episode is so good. Can you tell me the premise? Uh, I can tell you the premise without ruining it, because like you kind of figure it out. Yeah. And like basically, it's already been told. Uh I think I think I know, but like I'm I'd keen to hear what your POV on it. I won't say anything that you let that would spoil anything past the first twenty minutes of the episode. Great. The premise is like in this world, and it's not a world too distant from ours. It could be, you know, in the next ten years. Yeah. There is a new technique called severance, which basically allows uh 
people to sever their memory and their concept of existence between their work and their personal yeah. life. And the reason you would do that is up for many to guess, right? There's personal reasons why right, people right, would right, do right. that. There's reasons why the business would do it. But some jobs, or well, at least this job in particular that our main character, we see him taking, uh, you can only have this job if you have been severed. Oh, so you've got to do it. That's interesting. So the character we follow for this one division of this big multi-conglomerate company is uh, basically when he's when he steps into work, that version of himself, you, you see like a filter go over his face, has no concept of his existence outside of work or who he is. He only has a concept of his, ex- like, I think therefore I am Descartes style shit of his yeah, yeah, existence okay. at the office. And same with all his coworkers. Interesting. Right? That that he interacts with with in this division. And when he leaves, his you know, nor his normal self has no concept of that guy. It's like they're two different people, right? That's in the same body. And not everyone does this, right? So like you get to follow what other people think about his decision to do this in the personal life and really what the broader effects of this are you know, of this new advancement are in society, meaning like it's not everyone agrees with it. So mm. that was a part of the show that I was like confused. I was like, I was surprised by is like they, they start to already in the first episode investigate the moral conundrums of this because if you think about it, the other side of him that's at work basically is a slave, only exists. His, every time he wakes up, he's at work. Every time he, you know, he's gone, he, he doesn't exist except for in this concept of the work that he's That's doing for this company. I can imagine that being shot and uh, produced really interestingly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, so you'd recommend- I've only seen one episode, but I'm, dude, I'm so excited to watch the second episode. I haven't been this nice. stoked on a show since like, uh, since probably the, uh, Yellow Jackets. Nice. The first season. It's So it's Adam yeah. Scott who's the main guy. He kind of reminds me of a young Jason Bateman in a weird way. Do you get that? Like his, can you see that? Like a baby face Bateman. Yeah, it might a not baby be. Baby-faced Batemans. Yeah. B-B-B. That's great alliteration for you there. That makes me very happy. So you'd, you'd recommend, because I've been, it's been on the list for a while, and we're looking for a new show. It's the most intrigued I've been by a show in a long time, and by a pilot episode in a long time. The ending is super cool of the first episode. So do you think the, like, the ultimate mystery is like, what does he do? It's like, what what is the job? It's They seem to be setting that up as one of the big mysteries interesting i'm excited we will certainly get to that we we did watch a thing in the last week which was just classic binge tv like turn your brain off just like put this thing on uh it was called muscles and mayhem which is a netflix show about the original American Gladiator team. You might have seen it. It got advertised fairly heavily. I've heard about this. (laughs) Yeah, it got advertised fairly heavily. And it's sort of like, it's supposed to be like an expose on like the lifestyles they led and like how they got to anywhere. And it's actually quite interesting. So it's about like, there's my perception of what the show was going to be and kind of what it was maybe advertised as. Like, I think the advertising was slightly misleading versus what it was actually about. So like the show was really about how the show began and how it was like this hokey little show where the idea was come up by this basically snake oil salesman. And like when they first started filming it, they were literally like in a warehouse with like concrete floors and you know, the games you saw. Yeah. So they were probably like, like de-evolved versions of those games where they were just like getting injured every five minutes. 
and then like it evolved into this thing that was like bigger than life and everyone loved American Gladiators, but because they, they were all working for such little money, they all became so expendable. A little bit about the act, but bit like the acts in Hollywood right now. They're just a bit like, okay, if you want more money, then you can just leave and we'll get someone else in. And how the show suffered because they were going for these just big steroided up dudes versus like, you know, the personalities that had built it. Quite interesting. Um, this, it was sort of advertised as more like the drinking and the drugs and the steroids and all the crazy shit that went on behind the scenes. And I was like, I'm fascinated to know like what that looks like. Because they went on like a full year tour where they were actually performing almost every night of the year. And it was really quite yeah. fascinating to see, you know, how they all basically didn't survive it. They all would get injured and then they'd have some of them ended up leaving the show. So I thought it was going to be around like how the coping mechanisms that they had for that and how they all parted. But it was a little tame because I think it was because it was from the people who were those gladiators. I think perhaps they toned it down a little bit, but not a, not a bad watch. Pretty fun. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say go and watch it immediately. But if you want to switch your brain off, <laughs> it's not bad for that. No, I'm be curious. I remember when it was on, and I remember Malibu. He's probably from the roided out versions, but I remember that guy. He, he was like a surf dude, right? Yeah. I wonder how many of them have like you know used their fame from that to go create like you know be a creator or an Instagram famous person. There's a lot of monetization you could do there. Yeah, yeah, I think a bunch of them went on to be like fitness um, gurus and stuff like that. So like personal trainers and all that kind of thing because they were just a little bit before the social media stuff. But you'd be surprised. Like one of them like who wasn't in the original series, but it turns out one of them does like feet pictures on an OnlyFans. And I was like, <laughs> you earn that living, girl. You do what you got to do. No, I guess my point is like they could even try and use this zeitgeist now to make money like that's yeah a, absolutely that's a free ticket right they could bring it um, back right now and they could be like the, do a podcast. the legacy ones yeah i mean probably, like, everyone yeah. else fucking does these days christ it's hard to get anyone's attention <laughs> even even mary and pippin have their own podcast these days please guys don't leave us to go and listen to mary and pippin's podcast uh if you're enjoying what you're hearing please stick around. <laughs> yeah what else dude i've been uh i did watch the bear season one Ah, oh, you finished the you finished season one. Have you heard about this? We watched the first one or two episodes, and I thought it was a comedy. It, it is a comedy, but it's also a drama. It's a comedy drama. I like it because it's like thirty minutes and it's intense, and like it's it gets way better at the end. Like the first like middle part becomes like a bit of a drag because you're like, "Fuck, this is so negative." It's but so, the first episode really threw us. We watched the first episode and we were both like. I don't know if I could deal with a like you say the intensity and b the negativity. It's super. It's super intense, but it's like a really. It's more of a drama than a comedy, but there are comedic elements. Like so, not and, Timothy Chalamet and not Aaron Taylor Johnson. It's the other guy. He looks like a mix of them. Yes. Yeah. It's like if they had a baby. He's like their love child. Yeah. The uh, so I would say the season two, my brother says, is one of his favorite seasons of television ever. He's like, it gets wow. better because he was like, I get it. It's a bit of a grind because it's like kind of negative. But like yeah. the character, they're doing the character builds right, and so like mm. I've heard really good things about the second season. I would I would urge you to push through because it has a happy ending. Oh right, okay. The first My season favorite kind of ending. Yeah, that's good. Me too. I like. I feel like they've. Um, I feel like they're doing a really good job of building the characters. Like I really like the the cousin. Is he cousin or brother? I think he's the cousin. Well, he's not really a cousin, but yeah, it's right, the right, cousin. Right, right. Yeah, I, I really like him even though he's the worst possible person. But he like, plays it so well. He's he so good in that so role. Well. Is he in other stuff? Like, I recognize him. 
he is in something. I looked it up too because I was like, what the fuck is he in? And now I can't remember it again. I'm going to look it up now. But really though, like it's him in like his interaction. Like there's this weird like, you know, A, I got that Chicago history, so I love it. But like there's this weird found family vibe in this that's like especially real. Like, it, you know, it feels like, it yeah. feels very true to like our our modern world. I definitely think they're building that, and I and I like that a lot. I feel like the new chef who comes in, the black the black girl, and she's like trying her hardest to you know impress and be like uh, get get a job with them. I feel like that's gonna build nicely to that found family piece that you were talking to. Yeah, and there's there's, ba- there's bound yeah, to be some sort sure. of fall down at some point. You know, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of like challenges in the show. So apparently, this guy is, his name is a uh, his name is Ebon Moss Bokrat Bokrat Bokrat. Okay. Anyway, he's uh he's in the Punisher series, but what you're probably yes, most recently he is from the Punisher series. In, he is recently in Andor. He's the guy oh. that tries to betray them. He's one of the dudes that's like really anti-Cassian Andor. Oh my god, their, he's in their, two great yeah. shows. Yeah, he he's really he's good in the Punisher. He's like the the yeah. uh, what's his name in the Punisher? Have you got it up? Have you got the IMDb up? Uh, his name in the Punisher is David Lieberman. Yeah, he's got a nickname as well. Shit, I forgot what it Give is. Me look. Yeah, he's like the secondary main character in the first series of the Punisher. He's really good. It's like some yeah, day. Yeah. yeah, no, it's David Lieberman. I don't know what his real, yeah. what his alter name is, but so he like also. The other guy in the Punisher, the main dude who plays the Punisher, yeah, John Bernthal, he is in this. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah, he's he's the older brother that they keep referencing that has oh. killed himself. Oh, and there you go. He oh, is, killed himself. You oh, get flashbacks. I didn't realize. I thought he just died of I don't know some mystery illness or something. Uh, sorry, maybe they haven't told you that yet, but it's not really a, like it's pretty. Early it doesn't on. change anything to me, but that's fascinating. That's cool. I'm, I'm, we'll keep watching. We'll keep watching. I think it's been a bit pushed to the side because of the Women's World Cup at the moment, but. We'll get back to it. It's just a good thing it's not like an hour show because if it was that intense for an yeah. hour, oh my god, I couldn't fucking neck I couldn't yourself. Even. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd be following John Bernthal. I'd be like, dude, yeah. where's yeah. where's the nearest building top I can jump off of? Because it it is like, sure. I I don't think I was quite ready for how intense that first episode was. It was yeah, it was certainly eye opening. Uh, the last thing I've done and was pretty fun this week, a little bit different. We actually went to the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition, and I love these things. You know me, man. I'm a full geek for for nature, for dinosaurs, for David Attenborough, all of those things. If you could get those and yeah. shake them all up into a little thing and send them out like a cocktail, it'd be the best day of my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Wildlife Photographer of the Year is amazing. Like really beautiful photography. Really interesting portraits. To, to win those things, you've got to do something different. Like there's crazy ones where people have gone under like ice caps and they're taking shots up of like the under, underside of it and all the crazy animals and creatures you get under there. Fascinating. Just makes me think like the ocean needs to be, uh, <laughs> we need to explore the ocean a bit more. I keep Dude, seeing like sure. conspiracy theory videos on like uh, Instagram and they're like, NASA was originally built to like explore the ocean. They did like five percent of it, and then they changed to look at space. What did they find down there? <laughs> like, what did they find down there? <laughs> well, a lot of the like, if you want to really put your tinfoil on, a lot of these they call them UAPs now, not UFOs, because yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, they go into the water as well. Oh, interesting. Which is pretty interesting, right? Interesting. Like, yeah. What's a UAP stand for? Unidentified. Um, 
Adam well, Driver. I was going to say Ariel. <laughs> I was going to say Ariel object. You <laughs> Ariel pro- erratic. I think it's like erratic project like tile or some shit like Interesting. that. Interesting. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So, but they're they're definitely not aliens because the government now says they're aliens. It's def- they're definitely not aliens. <laughs> yeah, definitely not aliens. But my point being that like we do need to explore the ocean more. And so those lo- conspiracy uh, theorists are up to something. Although we don't need to do it the way the Titan did. No, no absolutely not. I look, <laughs> like forward, that I look forward to bogus. the day. I look forward to the day, the wildlife photographer of the year, that the the image of the year is won by a UAP. <laughs> That's what I look forward <laughs> to. Same. Dude, we didn't even talk about that. You guys probably talked about it on the pods that I missed. But I got to say, like, if I was a billionaire, just go on your yacht, dude. What are you doing? What do you mean? Why would uh, you go in that? Why would you go in that submarine thing? You just like just enjoy your life. Just just go go on your yacht. Try and fix global warming. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you tighten yourself first? Global boiling. We're oh already there. Oh my god! What a joke. God, Jesus. Anyway, sidetrack. I don't. I don't know why they specifically chose that company. It's like. Do you, like you're intelligent. You're a billionaire. Do your research. Ask like literally two questions. Any question? Yeah, any question. Literally two questions. Have you tested and this? That why is that? That's a hard no. <laughs> like what happens if like the engine breaks? Yeah, that's a simple answer that they didn't like. They they had no solution for that. Like no one would go retrieve that. Oh my god. <laughs> there was no way. There's no. Uh, there was no other craft that could go get them. I. I haven't read up on this. I just sort of it it washed over me as public opinion, it more public opinion than anything, and it was nonsense. Just ask any. There is questions. no there is no disaster recovery for that. Like I'm sorry. No. Anyway, um, I don't yeah, like what, <laughs> who, what who who decided that was a good idea. Wasn't it like multiple oh, billionaires? I, if it's multiple billionaires and it's that, is that could that be a conspiracy theory that these guys were sent down there to die? No, they're idiots. <laughs> just being a billionaire doesn't make you smart is apparently what that tells you. It well, may, like, there's a, a there's a there's a good psychoanalysis here where, where it might make you think you're invincible is my point because Well that's true. A lot of billionaires do, <laughs> do have that in them, don't they? Like look at Zuckerberg and old mate trying to have a fight in UFC. I'm invincible. Yeah. Do, should we now that we've talked about like month old news, should we carry on to what we've heard let's do it well what we do now is we like to talk a little bit about the things we've heard in our geeky sphere and as we joke every week it's not really news it's more likely stuff we've heard off instagram that sounds fun dl did you hear this week that beyond the spider-verse the follow-up to across the spider-verse which was the incredibly successful follow-up to into the spider-verse it's been delayed indefinitely which sucks balls because they had already put like they already had a release date for it previously. It was going to come out exact, pretty much exactly a year after the previous one to finish the trilogy. And obviously with all of the strikes and everything that's happening, it's been it's been shelved for the moment. I'm pretty pretty sad about this. Yeah, it makes sense. It does make sense, though. Like, it, I mean, it makes sense. That doesn't mean anything to my psyche about yeah, this. Unless it was ready to be done, there was like obviously going to be the need to be edits and pretty much yeah. everyone that would do those striking so well yeah and well there's a lot of talk about the animators properly unionizing and all that so i feel like that's something that should happen at some point because they just basically get bid out of existence yeah like i don't want to re we've already gone too political here hey how come you can go political but i can't no i just mean i you know i've already uh, i've already used my one chip so i (laughs) I, i'm using two now 
You get one chip per episode. I think they're all they're all missing the point, dude. They're all missing the point. They're not competing. They're you know they're fighting over a small pie. Like they're competing with TikTok. They're competing with Joe Rogan. They're compete like they're not competing. Like th- the bigger pie is is the fact that they're competing for eyeballs in general, not the mm. crumbs of what's left yeah. in the entertainment industry. And so they're gonna. I think they're gonna hurt themselves more than they're gonna help. But there's certain things like residuals and royalties that I think that that's an easy fix. But some of these claims, like we got to stop AI, like you just cannot. It, it, it's gonna be in every software ever. You're talking about the bigger. You're talking about the bigger actor strikes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like. You're right. But the same thing is that's that's probably the same reason why these you know there's there's gonna be similar demands in the animators. Like it, it's just unionizing doesn't always help the the union members. Unfortunately, I feel, I f- yeah, I, f- I feel like they, I feel like you're right in that the the cinema experience needs to evolve at some point, right? Like, it's not built for your average person anymore. It's built for someone who can just chuck thirty dollars on a ticket alone. Like, I went to see Barbie the other day, and uh, it's like crazy, like thirty dollars just for the ticket, and none of that goes to the cinema chain. Cinema chain only makes money off like popcorn and drinks. Unless a movie's been out for more than like three or four weeks. So interesting that you say that because the one I went to see uh, Dead Reckoning at was like a $9 ticket. Oh, wow. And But it was like this super sophisticated theater with restaurant whereby like it was a craft brewery. You could order beers, everything like from your seat. It was like super great service, like full dinner, full lunch, whatever you wanted. And it was like it was like gold class, but like on on crack. And... (laughs) And and but but only nine dollars on bath salts or on stero- on steroids I should say because crack is negative. <laughs> I guess they both. It was like <laughs> it was like results. gold class if it was properly naturally fit and went to the gym every day. <laughs> uh, but my point being, like, it it was like, how did they get away with like the ticket only being nine bucks? And I'm assuming it's because they make all their money on the other stuff, and it's an interesting yeah. model because I was like, it was yeah. a much better experience for me, and it was cheap for the movie. So I don't know what they're doing. Well, that's interesting. I wouldn't. I mean, like thirty dollars for a ticket over here is probably the equivalent of what, like fifty, twenty dollars? No, more. Twenty, twenty-five. It'd be like it'd be like twenty-two, twenty-three. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. So, I, so I reckon they'd probably make bare minimal off that. The actual cinema chain, probably like four or five dollars tops. But if they're going that low, sort of that nine-dollar ticket range, surely all of that's going to the the distributors. And then I they're just know. getting money from like the the meal experience, and then having all of these extras. Because like, if you're having a good time, you'll spend more money while you're there, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I spent probably. I mean, I'm sure it's like the food's overpriced. I didn't even look at it, but like, yeah, I spent probably twenty or thirty bucks. So it's right. like you know, if you're getting more on that, then did you get popcorn as well sense. and a drink? Yeah, I got popcorn. We got two there drinks. Go. I think I got like some candy. I don't remember to be honest. But support your local cinema, guys. But yeah, that's how they make money. Yeah. So it's 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 super interesting. I'd love an experience like that. And you know what? My favorite cinema experience probably of the last five years was when we went to see everything everywhere all at once. And we were in that super old school cinema, and it was tiny, yeah. and pokey, and the chairs were shitty. But like, it felt like a real cinema. You know what I mean? It didn't feel like a multi-million dollar franchise. Yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting, man. It's because it's like, uh, you know, even like even like Sony, right? Like they're not even in the streaming wars. Like they just are not basically really. a distributor now. Yeah. So I was talking to this guy who's he's he's done his time and he's at this party I was at this last weekend. He's an ex Santa Barbara guy and he works at Sony. And so his take on this whole strike and everything was very interesting. 
um, because it's he's got like the business lens on, and he he's basically of a mind like it's it'll be interesting to see what like Netflix does because yeah. they're the they're the ones that like have to kind of define this because Sony basically is Netflix is one of their biggest customers, right? They basically Sony just distributes a bunch of stuff direct to Netflix, yeah. so they're not gonna like yeah, rock the boat, but Netflix is gonna have to kind of lead the way on this. In a lot of ways. Which will, yeah, which totally. Will the streamers do, yeah. Interesting to what, watch unfold, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's a really interesting point. I like. I guess looking at it from the business perspective versus the toll on real humans perspective, it's <laughs> like, and I know we talked about this last week. I would want to go this again. We've talked about this so many times. But like, I do feel like the streamers are going to have to take a hit on their bottom line at some point because at some point they're going to have to release their sh- streaming numbers. I think you shared that Andrew Schultz tweet, tweet or instagram post with me where he basically said like this could be bad for everyone <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know i, I think that it's just gotta be like it, it's interesting because it's like you've got both sides like you've got people saying like you know complaining about bob Iger's salary but then like you know matt damon and these other guys are making yeah. you know double that so they kind of want want it both ways like you can't yeah. want the upside of Matt Damon and then complain about Bob Iger's salary. Like it's kind of like a paradox. It needs to be more evenly distributed. It's tough. It's tough when you get these guys who like that is that's the salary for them, but then like they're also striking. I don't know, man. Like it's it's very interesting. Back to the original point. How do you feel about Beyond the Spider Verse been delayed? You a bit bit sad? Oh uh, wow, we got in a very big rabbit hole. I yeah, you know, I'm bummed, but I'm kind of also like this will give me a chance to like catch up on so much shit because <laughs> yeah. there won't be oh new God. things that are released like i can actually get through my queue <laughs> you know what i mean so my saved list is massive well there are a couple of new things coming out dl and we shared this week with our friends of the show a couple of big marvel trailers got released well one was just yesterday but we'll start with the marvels we got the final I didn't realize, oh my God, I didn't realize it was the final one. This must be coming out soon then. The final trailer for The Marvels, the show, the the new upcoming movie, uh, which is introducing Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, to Captain Marvel and Co. And all of those, all their powers are intertwining. And we've got some reactions from friends of the show. But what uh, what do you think, DL? I didn't even finish the trailer. <laughs> oh, wow. I was so I was so bored, dude. Well, you know what's interesting? And you know what's fascinating? So we talked about that secret uh, secret invasion show previously. And the whole yeah. point of that is around like, you know, it's it's Nick Fury. He's come back to Earth for one final showdown. Like, this is his war, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, there is a strong possibility that uh, Samuel Jackson, he's done with Marvel. Like, you know, he might be like, okay, I've had my paycheck. I'm a 70 plus year old man now. I'm just going to go and enjoy my retirement and no longer make these dumb Marvel things. I was like, he could die at the end of this. I was like, absolutely he could. It could and then happen. the trailer for the Marvels came out and I was like, oh, he's he's right there. He's definitely not going to die in this. I'm like, you've just ruined the whole premise for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, that's Marvel though. They always do that. It's so Marvel. They always do that in weird ways. Well, like Endgame came out. Uh, sorry, Infinity War came out and they released a, a movie trailer for the upcoming Spider-Man film. I was like, but he just he just died in that last one. Why are you showing me why are you showing me things of him being alive? I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. We we did get some reactions from friends of the show. And a couple are not dissimilar to yours. So friend of the show Riggs, who's joined us a couple of times. Uh thanks for your reactions, friend of the show Riggs. 
he said he was exactly the same. He's a, he's feeling a bit done with Marvel right now. He's a bit over it. But whereas friend of the show Leone, for example, calling out, he loved the look of it. Said he really liked it. It looked fun. Like the idea of you know the 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 powers of all these characters sort of overlapping and them jumping between each other, which you know quite fun ish looking premise. Yeah, yeah. The pre- but I think it'll be. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be gimmicky. Like, how are they just going to do this for an hour and a half? Like, you know what I mean? Surely not. Surely that's like the setup, and then like, oh, they fight for a bit, and then they're mates. Like, isn't that how these films normally work? Uh, the fact that you're just yada yachting like the entire movie with like plot <laughs> points is not a good sign. <laughs> well, we got a we got a big second trailer, Dio. We got a big second trailer, so we got a, a trailer for Loki season two. And a release date. Oh my god, it's coming October sixth. Uh, that's way quicker than I ever expected it to be. Well, also, I'm stoked that it's coming out so fast. But it, what, like, Same. I just want to ask you, what is the delta here? Because I'm so excited for that, and I think it's just like everything about it's better. The storyline is more aligned to the core known issue, the the core conflict yeah. of like the central story. The, the actors saga. are better. It's just a more you. It's not as formulaic, like you know. I don't know if and I'd it's go as far as the actors are better. I'd go as far oh, as come saying, on, like, Owen Wilson. They're and more freaking... established. They're more established in the world for sure. It's not even that. Like, they, do you think Brie Larson's a better actor than Owen Wilson and Tom Hilson? I'm not going. To, I, I'm just not getting dragged into that rabbit hole yet. <laughs> no, it's not a rabbit hole. What is what is her best acting performance? Um, she's won an Oscar, hasn't she? I don't fucking know. You. <laughs> well, what's Tom Hiddleston's best acting performance? He's got so many. Loki being one of them, Name which is five. crazy because it's in the Marvel MCU. What's the uh what's the one with Carmen Diaz? He's in that, isn't he? Oh no, that's not him. Huh. That's uh who the hell's um, Carmen that's Diaz? Jude, that's Jude, that's Jude Law. <laughs> <laughs> Good start to this. Good argument, my uh, man. Okay, maybe it's not the acting, but at the very least, their character And who's Carmen Diaz? Carmen Diaz? You mean Cameron uh, Diaz. Cameron. Cameron Diaz. <laughs> That's just, I mean, like Brie Larson just Brie Larson just is not as intriguing of a character in general. Yeah, she's got the super, she's got the Superman problem in this. As Owen Wilson and and Loki. And the the premise, like the actual plot line, is just much more like unique. It's not as formulaic. I can tell you how this Marvel's movie is gonna go. It's going to be Come the on. same fucking formula that we've seen in the last five movies, except with like two girls, its powers are switched as opposed Three to girls. seven rings. Three girls whose powers are switched as opposed to seven rings or as opposed to, you know, a quantum gun or fucking whatever, dude. It's just like substitute new fake thing with other protagonist actor. Like, whereas <laughs> Loki, it's like an anti-hero, a detective thriller and a time space. Mi- it's just like so much more unique. Of course, it's better. Yeah, I'll give you that. Changed. It is certainly more unique. And it's I'd say it's a more interesting premise as well. Like I feel like I feel like Captain Marvel's been set up as, like I say, this sort of Superman white savior character. And like what's her defining characteristic? I can't name like two. Like she had a haircut in one of the films. She's overpowered, and I don't find it that interesting when they're that powered. So you've got to put her up against more powerful characters. It's like, and then can the other two keep up with her? So who knows? But then there's some interesting, if you watch the Secret Invasion uh, show, there are, there's an interesting ending which includes some of those powers. So I'm going to leave that dangling tantalizingly right there. 
But apparently there's a bunch of X-Men references in the trailer. I need to look this up. I want to make a YouTube video on it. So I'm I'm intrigued to know exactly, in the Loki trailer specifically, I'm intrigued to know what they are and how they sort of like fit into that storyline because they're surely building towards the X-Men here. Surely. And so you're saying Loki has references to mut- the mutants? Like, I come on. Bro. Yeah. Come on. I know. This is... Yeah, they should just. They should I'm just so excited for this. this. <laughs> like, yeah, just give me more of this. Yeah. All right, um, final bit of news, NDL, before we move on. And as a nice segue into our main topic today, did yes. you hear this week that apparently some of the very nude scenes in Oppenheimer were censored in certain countries? Did you hear about this? Yeah, I did. So, you know, even though, even though we joked that. Um, maybe they overplayed the amount of sex in this film. Well, they, they oversold, you mean? Yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> oversold it. That's why I was there. I didn't care about an atomic bomb. Um, no, but apparently in uh, the Middle East, Southeast Asian countries, like, I don't know if you've seen the images, but they like CGI'd like a I night dress see. onto Florence Pugh. Or, or I should say I didn't see yeah, what oh, I wanted to I see. Like what you, I like what you did there. No, I did see that. Yeah, I mean, like, what are you going to do, man? I mean, countries are, you know, where that's the state of the world. Do you think yeah. it was necessary? Do you think it was needed? Of course like it's not necessary. Of course it's not necessary, but we've got, like, you know, a bunch of dictator regimes in the world, and they, they decide that you can't see <laughs> boobs, which is just absurd. Take, take, the ta- but, take the tater off that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, this is the third political statement of today, so I am <laughs> Oh, my fired. God. We are a political podcast. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, then, ridiculous, do but, you yeah. want to preface our main topic, DL? Uh, yeah, dude. Our main topic this week is Opie, big old Opie, the old Opie. Oppenheimer. And I think it's, are we going to call this the part one? Meaning part two is Barbie. And then we have to, oh. instead of, I think we scrap, this is, we're doing this on the fly. I think we scrap Aquaman these next two weeks. And the question becomes, which one is better, Oppenheimer versus Barbie. Oh, interesting. So we analyze Oppenheimer this week. We analyze okay. Barbie next week. And next week, it's not a, is this better than Aquaman? Because obviously both are going to be. It's which one is better. Interesting. I like that you're assuming that Barbie's going to be better than Aquaman 2018. That is that is up in the air for a lot of people right now. But okay, I'm down. We will absolutely do something yeah, similar I, to that. I, I think we have to do that. I think that's the way. It is the way. It, are we going to just do full spoilers for this? Like... Everyone knows the Oppenheimer story, right? It's not like a I mean, like, secret. Dude. It's a biopic of a historic character. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not like, doing spoilers. We all know the two bombs got dropped. Yes. DL, do you have a stupid plot summary for this? Uh, I do. An awesome biopic about the moral boundaries and dilemmas of technolo- technological advancement viewed through a beautifully written character-driven story with a boring-ass Law & Order episode attached. <laughs> That is very similar to mine. I just said yeah. a tale of two boring hearings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like that is sort of the crux of this film. Uh, before we get into it then, do you want to guess for me the current IMDB score for this film? IDB, I'm going to say 8-8. Eight, eight. Oh, it's an 8-7. So close. Oh, really? It's right there. And then do you want to guess me the Rotten Tomato score? The Rotten Tomatoes would probably be, it was high, but it always goes down. 94. It's 94, baby. You got it in one. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, 
Nice. Even a blind squirrel finds a night. You've got it. You've got to find one sometimes, my man. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd change the final one. Metacritic's been a bit uh, odd these most recent weeks. So we are using letterbox reviews, which I believe is all audience. So what do you think the full audience score out of five is? 375. Can it be points or does mm. it have to be solid number? It's 4.4. Interesting. So, I mean, like this is getting big reviews right now and of course y'all know that we love chris nolan this is a return to one of our famous anthologies movies from directors we love we should really speed this up a little bit i feel like there's, there's so many directors i want to talk about with you uh so yeah. chris nolan directed um it's got a, a an insane cast now this is just very much skimming off the top right listen to this this is just like 15 among all of them it's got Killian Murphy, it's got Emily Blunt, it's got Robert Downey Jr., it's got uh, Alden Ehrenreich, it's got Kenneth Branagh, it's got Josh Arnett, it's got Florence Pugh, it's got David Smalchin, it's got Matt Damon, it's got Josh Peck, it's got Jack Quaid, it's got Rami Malek, it's got Casey Affleck, and it's got Gary Oldman. And that is just <laughs> the cream of the crop. Like, what on earth is this cast? Where's Gary Oldman? He is, and, and I got this when we were watching a film, he plays President Truman. So there's a scene in it where he meets President uh... Truman for like a real brief hot second it's a bit like when he's in the makeup for churchill you know he did the churchill film a couple of years ago and he was like fully prosthetic up, and that was yeah it was it was a blink and you'll miss it moment i remember turning to the partner half through the film and i was like pretty sure that's gary oldman and she was like no it's not it doesn't look anything like him (laughs) No, they've done a really, really good job. Uh, well, do you then want to give me the sort of basic overview plot of this film and then we'll get into the specifics of it? Remember all spoilers, guys. Yeah, I guess like, you know, at a high level, uh, you basically see Oppenheimer's journey from being like a really, really uh, interested student. Nerd! In, what is it? What do you call it? Like Theoretical physicist. Yeah, he's a theoretical physicist, like as a student to like basically pioneering that realm in America at Berkeley and yeah. through the rise of it as like a established profession in and, and like a scholastic enterprise in America and beyond. He started in Europe into him being basically selected to run the Manhattan Project, which is, you know, the uh, basically the code word for our advancement of the nuclear program and nuclear bombs in America. Yeah. All the way through to post that, post the Hiroshima drop and the hearings that followed kind of indicting him and, and kind of running him through the ringer and his his feelings and kind of moral platitudes post having yeah. the bomb drop. So recruiting the team, what happened after, and in classic Christopher Nolan fashion, it's not linear, which for the most part I think is okay in this time, but there's a couple goths i think absolutely and and that's that's a really key point you made there this is so christopher nolan it's almost like he's plunged the depths of his movies and he's got together like his favorite bits and he's sort of like shaking them up like a cocktail like i was joking about before and chucked them all out onto the screen there are so many like fractured elements of this so like to start with like you say it's pre-manhattan and post-manhattan project and then yes. you've got the past, just for Oppenheimer's specific life, you've got the past, and then you've got like the present playing. And then uh, layered over the top of this, you've got this extra layer, which is a very Nolan thing of like, you've got some scenes which are done in black and white, and some scenes that are done in color. And they all have their own 
denative points and they're all specific there's a reason why it's done like that and nolan actually came out bef- while he was doing press for this film and was like there's a reason for <laughs> some scenes been in color and some in black and white he had to explain it apparently it was some people weren't quite getting the the different povs so the color perspective is oppenheimer and it's quite subjective it's quite warm it's his own the the supposed to be his own take on it while the black and white is from uh robert downey jr who's great in this by the way straws's perspective and it's sort of more cold and calculated and it's his semi destruction of reputation of oppenheimer which is kind of going on in the background and i it it is so fractured but it works so beautifully i didn't know that Although I think maybe at a subconscious level I did, but I, I didn't think, actually. I think knowing Nolan know the way you know, yeah, you yeah. would have got that. Like I mean, I, I understood that it was only in scenes where Strauss was in, but I didn't take it. I th- almost took it as uh, like just this is that period, not this is his perspective. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be the subjective versus the objective in in many ways. Okay, that's interesting. That's worth a rewatch with that even in mind. But yeah, it covers and it, and it you know weaves those storylines throughout. I'm not gonna try and remember which parts come where, but just know that <laughs> for the most part, you're jumping in There's between these two or three timeline, three timelines. Yes, mostly, mostly two, mostly two, but there's a third because it's like when he's super young. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. it follows like the linear story of his life while also showing yeah. the two hearings coexisting at the same time, effectively. Yeah, and it's yeah. interestingly done. It is. But uh, overall, right, like it's it's a super, super engaging watch. I mean, we could talk about the the cat, like the plot, you know, it is what it is. And it investigates a lot of stuff, both of what happened, but also like the debates at the time and post and moral kind of qualms Mm. or concerns. um, And I think a pretty steel manned way, meaning like it does go into both sides for a lot of it. I would I would argue yeah. for the most part it paints Oppenheimer as a positive and kind of uh, you know you, you empath its view is empathetic towards him. I'd say mostly. I'd say so. Yeah, which isn't necessarily so. everyone's view when it posed. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people that yeah. don't agree with that. But but I think that what you could it, he, he's not a villain as a dude. He, whatever yeah. your qualms may be, and I think that's the message that it it does kind of leave you left me with at least i think in this context the villain of the piece is portrayed as robert downey jr's strauss like that's who is the villain in this story but like if you think about the broader context of creating the a-bomb the government using it and there's and i'm going to get into that some of the problems of the characterization here of oppenheimer in a little minute because i've got some questions i'd love to get your perspective on it but like yeah people do view him as like a villain and for many many reasons this film is kind of like a tragedy in many ways Mm -hmm. it's this long drawn out story of creating one of the most destructive weapons ever and it's among nolan's most realistic i'd say like the way like dunkirk was pretty realistic i'd give it that if you watch memento it's got a lot of realism to it but it's for me it's the one that is probably the most character driven of his stories yeah and it and it largely is i don't think there's i haven't done like a deep dive on it to be honest but like i i did know a bit about Oppenheimer before in preparation for the movie and just like knowing and i don't think there was anything that was like crazy like i don't know about the florence Pugh stuff but I don't think there was anything that was absurdly uh, like a lot of liberties taken. I think a lot of this is yeah. basically from that one book that was written. Yeah, it's the American Prometheus book. 
And and I agree. And a lot of that is based on a ton of research that was done on Oppenheimer specifically and like the what the world around him. And yeah, I was going to say this up top. A lot of it seems sort of factually correct for the most part. We'll talk a bit about it later on. And I like that. I like that he, that Nolan can intertwine big dramatic storytelling with uh, and and you know a lot of it is dramatized and you know you don't know everything that everybody said and how it works yeah. but like he does manage to get that quotation marks factual correct parts of like his life in there as well which some of these biopics don't they just think fuck it let's just do yeah. a good story it does feel like people will learn things from this now the like meaning it's not just like it's it's entertaining will they learn the lessons dio <laughs> Will they learn the lessons? I think it, the people will learn like things about history that they probably didn't know while also being entertained for about two hours and 20 minutes of this movie. The last 40 minutes, I gotta <laughs> be honest, were a, a bit of a drag. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that then, about, a bit about the pacing. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you on that. It was very methodical. There's something about the last 40 minutes where I'm just like, if this was if this was supposed to be the crux of the movie, like this these two perspectives, you fuck something mm. up in the first half because yeah. I didn't get the yeah. vibe that that's what this was. And you know, frankly, if I would if I could, you know, and I'm no wonder critic Nolan, but the point is we're doing a podcast where I give my opinion, so I'm going to. <laughs> I, I I think that there's a little bit of like the time dilation here that doesn't help the movie in certain ways. Yeah, like okay. overall, right. I think it's it's you know it's it's better than say a tenant. But I shouldn't have to watch the movie twice to care or understand why I should care about a character or plot point. There should be a clear reason why I care about it in the first viewing that is either informed mm. or changed in a in a you know insightful way upon second viewing. I kind of felt like he just mm. didn't nail the setup of this Strauss Oppenheimer conflict in the first half of the movie. So when it was kind of thrown in my face, I was kind of like, why do I care? Why is this relevant? what is the point of this? And so there's something I think was, more I yeah, think he needed yeah. to do in the beginning to like ground that as one of the main central conflicts because it felt like a, just an addendum to a great movie about moral choice and Oppenheimer. I agree. I, 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 do, I do think that the whole Strauss being the villain of the piece was supposed to be a rug pull. And I, and, and I can't tell if you were supposed to gradually understand that as the movie came about or... Like it was that one scene where you realized that Strauss had been pulling the strings in his court hearing the whole time and he was ahead of his PR person or whatever he was. I felt like that rug pull wasn't overly well designed or pulled off. Or or, like, or because, executed. Yeah, yeah. Ex if it exactly, was meant to yeah. be a rug pull. Yeah, if it was. Because he just wasn't relevant enough for so much of the story for it to feel like he was yeah. going to be this like integral part. Well, I think if you watch back... And this is just from doing my research on like this specific movie, not the time, not actually Oppenheimer's yeah. life. I think if you watch back, you'll notice that a lot of the times when they're in a room together with other people, he is trying to undermine Oppenheimer's POV. So, for example, the time when they're all sat around a table with with all of his physicist mates and he's like, the Russians knew about this. Like, how did they know there must be a leak? Whenever he's in a room with other people, he's constantly trying to undermine Oppenheimer because of his pettiness. And he's trying to get like other people to see that Oppenheimer maybe isn't like the crown prince that yeah know, maybe maybe he's made out to be in the papers or whatever. So I think if you watch it back, you might notice those things. But like without that context on a first viewing, it's it's hard to see that as anything other than a rug pull. It's not quite earned. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what I'm supposed to get out of it in the first viewing, other than like what's been explained to me after 
Like it's yeah. kind of like Tenet yeah. where they, at the end they explain a bunch of stuff. And you're like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But for the first, you know, two hours of the movie, I didn't get anything from this. In fact, it was act. Yeah. Whereas like when you when he does the time stuff well, like in Inception and I'd say Dunkirk, you are confused yeah. at points, but it's not in a way that like deters from you understanding the characters and what you're trying and their conflict Agreed. and their motivations Agreed. and like the Agreed. plot, like you might be a bit and confused, I, but you get what they're trying to do. And you get that Leo's yeah. a tormented soul that has psychological issues that he needs to deal with. I agreed. I don't know. There's I, something that he misses here. Yeah, yeah. I think thematically the most interesting bit of this whole film is Oppenheimer's gradual understanding of what he's creating that point of like perhaps and we're going to come back to this perhaps his dream job wasn't the dream he thought it was like it was actually yeah. creating something of mass destruction and like there's no way he didn't know that's what he was creating but his enthusiasm his excitement at getting the job and all those things maybe overwhelmed those or pushed down those emotions that should have been the central point of this that whole build like that horace almost horror scene that we'll talk about at the end where he's announcing they did it and they dropped the bomb on japan and he's in the little auditorium with the basketball ring behind him and you have these split visions of like people celebrating versus the horror he's unleashed that should Great be scene. the key point of this yeah. you know well that's what i'm saying and like that's that kind of was detracted that was detracted yeah. and, it, and that was yeah. like what i thought it was going to be but it was detracted by the last 45 minutes and i feel like if yeah you, agreed the strauss thing like there's a way to do this movie where his purpose is clearly tied to the general theme of like government distrust of these of like and just general like bullshit antics around free speech right with like the yeah. communism stuff and that is like his theme adds an investigation on that which is like you know the government overreaches and power is you know yeah, yeah, corrupting absolutely. and like and and like you know something around that like i don't know what the theme is but i think those two things would be fun to play off each other in combination with Oppenheimer going on this journey of realizing that whereas right now yeah. it just kind of the way it was it kind of just felt disconnected to that because I thought yeah, they did agree. that really well Agreed. too. They showed like the apparatus of government and military and with the communism and all that. But Strauss was just over here kind of like a politician separate to that. Yeah. It didn't feel connected. And the interesting thing was, so like the movie, the two like key later points of the movie that we're kind of getting into are centered around two hearings. And I joked about it in my stupid plot summary. One, which is the a really small effectively room it's a small scene but it's also a small room of a bunch yeah. of government officials who are uh, reviewing oppenheimer's clearance so uh, ability to see like restricted documents and then you have this larger courtroom piece which is strauss who's effectively he's going for the senate is that right something like that yeah senator spot yeah he's he's trying for to a cabinet position i think he's being sworn yeah. as a cabinet position yeah for the yeah and it's a case of the the two scenes are they're effectively being grilled, right? It, it's like they've been cross examined in in a court of law for like their positions on different things. Oppenheimer's is around whether he was a communist, whether he was feeding information back to Russia, which is fascinating in itself. It, that's a, that's such a more interesting thing to investigate, right? Like, and why he might well, do that in the context of this yeah. over militaristic yeah. U.S. government, right? Like, that's yeah, such absolutely. a more interesting, yeah. Well, the parallel is is Strauss, who is being effectively. You don't know this until the very end, when it all when it all sort of like crescendos. Like he put Oppenheimer in this position. He effectively built the platform for Oppenheimer to have his reputation destroyed by being in these hearings, having his clearance taken away, and the whole point of the two is the two outcomes. 
Oppenheimer has his clearance taken away, but still becomes, you know, the poster yeah. child and still still wins awards and uh, f- for being you know great bloke. Where Strauss doesn't get onto the Senate because the people he's hurt along the way and his pettiness come back to bite him on the ass. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think you know maybe part of what the issue is, is like I'm overanalyzing it. My notes are like that whole section was so much telling, so yes. much telling. Like even like what's his name, that guy, Mister Robot, his whole monologue basically just explained away the entire. He, it was all narration and explanation as opposed to tell like yeah. showing, which is like there I feel a, like there was yeah. just a better way to get that message across with showing. Where it which didn't feel so on the nose. I shout that's a Chris Nolan thing, though. He does love a monologue. He does love someone explaining the ending to you. Look at Tenet. I, I, Look at I, everything yeah. in Inception. <laughs> well, there's a certain like, el- elements like with Inception where it's kind of necessary because it's like new concepts. Yeah. Whereas when it's just basic historical points and you know, act, like it's just there's a different. You don't need to narrate that. Yeah, but not everyone. Not everyone knows the basic historical points of this. Yeah, but you can show it. There's a way to show those same outcomes of his yeah. pettiness as opposed to just narrating it in a big opening speech in court, right? Like where you basically explain this whole part of the plot that's been tacked on. Yeah. Like in Inception, you have to explain it because it's yeah. this fucking yeah. sci-fi concept, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. I just It's not as entertaining, right? Like it's not as engaging. I just shout that. So if you think about it logistically, I would house most, I'd, I'd house more people than you think wouldn't know a second bomb was dropped in Japan. Like that baseline of history. Everyone knows the first one got dropped. Everyone knows that they sent the deterrent, but not many people know the second did. So show it. Maybe you needed to explain some of it just for people who didn't know the history. Show the news. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think they wanted to yeah. show the actual bomb being dropped. Yeah. And, and, and this is an interesting point because I know a lot of people went into this thinking that the culmination of this film was going to be them dropping the bomb, the first bomb on Japan. And they were genuinely, and this sounds so morbid, disappointed that that wasn't how this ended. I was like, guys, like, <laughs> that isn't what Nolan's about. He's not about morbid action for the sake of action. I was, I was a bit, I loved that scene where they test his positive. And he sees the future of what's going to come as he's being applauded. It's basically what I think should have been the climax of the movie. Maybe it, maybe it was, but the yeah, I love that. The, I thought it was going to be a bit more gory though, and I would have. It would have been one of those Same. moments where I thought that a little bit more graphicness would have actually been appropriate. It was pretty tame for what I thought was coming. I think it was. I think it was R-rated. So like, I'm not saying it's not. I just think like there's certain things like they could get away with it. Yeah, but I don't know if that's Nolan's thing. Like I just no. I just it's just like I've well I've been to the Hiroshima uh, museum and like so I've seen some of the like renditions. It's pretty gnarly, and I guess like it's just one of those yeah okay one of those moments where like the graphic it should feel shitty. Yeah, it's rough. And so showing it to its true shittiness is like actually okay. Like when people are like, oh, you show like you showed rape and it made me feel bad. It's like it should. Yeah. That's the fucking point. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I, I know exactly what you mean. Well, let's talk a little bit about performance. Dude, this movie's got such good performances. I, I think that's one of the things that really drives this movie. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would say there are some points, there are definitely some characters who are let down by Nolan's somewhat inability to be great at writing Remy. characters. Remy's one of them for sure. <laughs> he basically drops a pen. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'd, I'd say Florence Pugh. Like her whole arc is just like she's a bitch and she fucks him and then leaves. It's like it doesn't... 
that's something that's mis disconnected from that performance. Like, why would you keep going back to this person? It doesn't make sense to me. Who? Why would? Why would Opie or why would she? Why would? Why would Oppenheimer keep going back? Like, and you can say treat him mean, keep him keen, but like, if she's just gonna just dismiss you the moment you arrive, like, uh, you get over it pretty fast. It's it's a hundred, but it's a hundred percent lust. Like, you could tell he's the kind of guy who is so intrigued by intelligence and things that are different. Like he flirts with communism sure. as an idealism just to understand it. This woman is like very intriguing to him in that way. And it, I think it's just, it shows the humanity of him. Sure. I, I guess over, I guess over a number of years that like, it's supposed to be over a number of years. Yeah. You'd, you'd get over it. And she's like, sexy. Even that intelligent. Like <laughs> she, she is damn sexy. Let's not, not like, even when she's covered up in, in the Southeast Asian versions of this. But Chris, uh, Chris, but Killian Murphy in this, Jesus, he's good. I forgot he was Irish. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think about, I definitely knew he was Irish because of his fucking name, but his accent, I didn't even think about it, which I guess is a sign that it was good. He's, he's just a man in pursuit of a goal. You can see those flaws of Oppenheimer that he's not a people person like yeah he becomes a politician but like he's a robot for most of this and it's fascinating to see those flaws plastered on a big screen with an ego right with yeah, an ego. yeah absolutely yeah. his accent wasn't the normal Killian Murphy yeah no, like he did something different he definitely it was very yeah. precise I do. I, I was interested by the duality of like Oppenheimer, right? Like, because if you think about it and you watch this film, like there's an idealism to him about creating this weapon as like a deterrent, right? Uh, the whole way through, right, right up to those very last minutes where they actually use the atomic bomb. But there's something that doesn't quite sit for me with Oppenheimer, at least how he's portrayed here. And help me out here because you know the government for one is a militaristic force at this time in the world. Uh, you he is intelligent enough to realize that they're not just going to use this as a deterrent, especially if they know, which they do, other countries have access to similar technologies. Or are trying to build similar technology. Yeah, and, and it's this like duality of like he keeps creating this thing for them that he knows is going to be used for pure evil. And I, I just feel like someone that intelligent, even who is a bit of a robot, has enough morals to go, oh, is this... Is this a good idea? I don't think it's, but I don't think it's that black and white. I think he definitely thinks about it, but you, you know, you only, you know, it hits you when it hits you, but I don't think it's so black and white as like, it's going to be used for pure evil when you set it against the context of how the Nazis might use it if they beat, if they got there first. Sure. And so that how, like, you cannot, you cannot do that moral analysis until you know for sure. Well, as soon as he realizes that the Nazis are never going to use it, you're a bit like, okay, we're done here. But they, by that, I think the, and I don't know the timing of it, like historically, but the movie seemed to portray sure. it as they were pretty much done by the time they figured that out. The, the, mm. the damage had already been done. Like most of the intellectual property, while they didn't have a fully test done, had been built. And so it's like at that point, you know, you can stop, but they'll find someone to do the last 5%. And we will find him. <laughs> I, I, that was my uh, understanding of it, but sure. I don't. I don't know if that's historically accurate. But it was kind of like displayed that way. I thought in, interesting POV. I just felt like yeah. it was a bit naive of that character. Like it's he's either portrayed as being naive, or it's like a political backtracking to be like, oh, he didn't realize. Like he fucking knew. He oh no, knew no. Well, I think that there, that's a lot of people's critique of Oppenheimer is like you got all the fun of building it, all the you know, all the 
yeah. hoo-ha-ha of being the head dude to do it. And then yeah. you played both sides. Once you did it, you, you know, basically full 180 and said this is the most, you can't have it yeah. kind of both ways. That is yeah. the critique of him. But Well, there's, there's would, an interesting line in it by Emily Blunt when he goes back and sleeps with Florence Pugh's character. And she's like, yeah. you, you can't do this deed and then... F- people feel sorry for you you can't commit the sin and then i wonder if that's like a really telling like point of this movie maybe that is the point it is a poignant line that was thought about when they made that to have double meanings for sure that's a really good piece of dialogue surely yeah i didn't i didn't realize that yeah me neither maybe we just we just solved this movie dl (laughs) (laughs) but i i quite liked everyone around that like the main you know Oppenheimer Killian Murphy I love the Avengers of scientists I thought they were fantastic the, f- the physicist <laughs> Avengers um, I really liked all those different personalities I've forgotten the guy's name the guy who just goes against him at every possible turn and wa- he wants to make German the age yeah he wants to make the age bomb yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that I-, I love that and like he's probably almost as intelligent but just doesn't quite have the the nous that Oppenheimer has at that point he doesn't quite have the political power yeah. Uh, but he lets him carry on working on it. And it's like those little scraps like that where he's like, yeah, you keep doing whatever you want to do. I'm like, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> How good was Matt Damon? So good in this. Uh, and, really and Josh Hartnett. Dude, why did that guy not act for 15 years? Man, he was so out of the zeitgeist. I don't know what happened to him, but he I, needed to come back. I think he quit acting. Way. I think he literally quit. I think he missed out on the Batman role and he was a bit like, shit, I've really screwed up it. Well, he he, he came back. Did he decide not to do Batman? No, he, Bale got Bale got pulled in instead of okay. him. I think he did a bunch of like TV stuff. Like he did that Penny Dreadful show. He did a bunch of things and none of it really hit. It's an interesting trivia to false about Matt Damon for a little bit later on. We're going to come back to him. But there is a, a point about that character that he actually donates the passage of time in the Oppenheimer story. So if you're watching it really closely, and I didn't notice this, this was something I picked up on a... Uh, on a piece of trivia or whatever but like as the timeline progresses matt damon gets more military badges on his uniform so like that's how you know time is passing because like as you flip to a different scene like he's gone from a general to a general major and like all these things quite interestingly done like i like that and subtle as well yeah no i thought uh i thought he was a fun i thought he played the character really well like a gruff what do you think of downey jr's performance i thought like it was a really good performance it was just like again i don't want to you know beat a dead horse but it was like really hard for me to care because i didn't understand his point Uh, like i didn't understand his a his motivations and him as a character and b like what his conflict was with the rest of you know the plot like what was his where what was the what was the whole point of that story but that was kind of the thing like it was so petty like yeah like so Strauss's Strauss's whole deal was that Oppenheimer basically gaslighted him a bunch of times, like in public, and he was just mad that he was not intelligent enough to get him back. And I find that fascinating that someone so petty with a bit of power can you know rise to that level and just try and take everything away from you. Like, I, I think that's a, that's interesting. I just don't think it's forty five minutes interesting. Sure, but it it was a nice juicy role. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. look, his yeah. acting was, was good. His acting was good. Yeah, I, I thought he was great in it. He was really dastardly and cunning, but equally like cowardly as well. Like he had a bit of everything. I found that 
portrayal of the character interesting because he felt he was in control all the time but you know if you make that many enemies at some point you know some of them are going to come back to bite you almost yeah and i feel like i just didn't like him and his assistants like back and forth like was it his assistant like it just was so contrived like i just i don't know i I thought he was like his pr guy either way he was like against him by the end i was like this is like this feels so networky yeah it's true it's true. I, did, I like this has got like a ser- we said this up top. This has got a serious cast. We're not going to get to everyone, but just a few to check off who I did like in this. I thought David S. Malchin was a really interesting like side character. Like he just popped in and out. Like he was barely in it, but like who is what what character was he? He was the, he was the character who really who basically tried to change the narrative around Oppenheimer. So like the the point of the story is that when Oppenheimer was young and he was working in university. He had some ties to like various like communist parties in terms of like his ideals. The the big rug pull is that uh, Strauss gave him the documentation on Oppenheimer to try and change the narrative. And it was like, uh, Dash Maltzen, man, he's got like a look about him. He just looks bad. Now now I know who you're talking about. He's the guy with the the bubbles or the the polka dots in in Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, now I know. No. He's a favorite of the show. He is a former Goofy IMDb picture winner multiple times, I believe. He's probably one of the only ones that's come back and won it multiple times. Uh, I did like, like you said, uh, Rami Malek was interesting in this. I thought he was a little underbuilt as a character. There was, so, but like overall, like the cast is just unreal. Like everyone's in their A game. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit then about like cinematography and world building? Uh I mean, I think that cinematography wise, like obviously there's the time stuff, which I think generally speaking works except for the Strauss thing. Like, cause it like the yeah. cuts make you put you in different perspectives and different like, and you're starting to figure out like, it's like this journey of figuring out where and why Oppenheimer is so different in different scenes. And it's kind of, it adds yeah. intrigue to it. It adds like mystery to it. The like scenes where he's like imagining the atoms are super powerful, and that's like something that like really that's puts what you I in the talk world about. of a physicist's mind, yeah. like a hundred percent. Like yeah. that, that was really cool. I was really interested to talk to you about this a little bit because that was one of the key things that really made the color scenes stand out, where it's Opp- Oppenheimer's perspective. Because yep. you sort of start with these weird, almost peering into the microverse or the whatever you want to call it, visions of like waves and particles. And that gradually expands as his, well, in, in, in the beginning, his mental health's terrible. And, and you see a lot more yes. of it. And then it's sort of like, as his, as his mind is stretched to, to build the project, it gets less and less intense. But then at the end, when he realizes what he's done, it evolves into these like molten fire, burning world type, you know, like, huge grandioso scale type mental images and it's fascinating almost just like a split second view into his mental health at different moments of the film yeah no it is cool it's cool how it's like juxtaposition between like his mental health but also like the ingenuity of like his mind and and kind yeah. of the way you need to be to to excel in that the in that hidden world. universe what did you think about like the the commentary on like you know freedom of thought in this era in the u.s like with the communism Mm. and and all that and like the investigation of like you know what i think that the two things they tied together were like that part the communist part as well as like you know how did russia get access to it that a lot of these things are up in the air 
And uh, yeah, you tell me what you think. But like, I I think it's fascinating the parallels to like today, and that's kind of what I was thinking while I was watching it. Like, if you think about how much information everybody has on everything, and how nothing seems to be secret anymore, like takes like five minutes to hack someone's social medias one of one of my buddies from back home had his linkedin account hacked the other day oh, and i no. just got these random messages in chinese I, I, and i was looking back and i could see our previous message chains i it changed the picture so i didn't know who it was but i could read and i was like well that's someone from my days when i was in manchester i know i know, <laughs> I know yeah. this isn't this chinese person but then it was just these random messages so like i think it's fascinating to, uh, as like uh holding a mirror up to today like i thought uh i thought overall it was a really really like good view of of the time and like i guess the overreach and like i guess fear-mongering that like government can have mm. i thought it was a good mm. investigation of that like, a good yeah. investigation of how a like oh part of why he's interested in that is why he's a great physicist and you shouldn't stop that but b how if you're, you know, that is, that does come into conflict, juxtaposing that with something of this gravity and being too free with it, what that could do, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. you know, the Soviets got access to the, you know, a spy did infiltrate. And so it was yeah, like yeah. a very even keel of like, I guess, investigation of both sides of that argument, right? There, there, I think there's, there was truth on both sides, which was interesting. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit first, just before we wrap up, then a little bit about action and CGI, because I'm kind of shoving them together because it's, it's not like there's like action in this film. It's not like an actual Avengers film, even though we have yeah. the Avengers of physicists. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought like the, the, the point on the, the reason why CGI and action, so like the main action p pieces are what it builds up to. So the, the testing of the first atomic bomb, which yep. in itself is terrifying and hideous, but like before this came out, Chris Nolan said there are no CGI shots in this. And I think what people really? took from that was that he, he'd actually detonated an atomic bus. <laughs> where, that is funny. Where what he really <laughs> meant was, yeah, what he really meant was like there are no fully CGI like shots in this. Like everything has a, a, a base in some sort of reality. And, um, but that's kind of fascinating to think that people just sort of ran with it. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, he detonated a real atomic bomb in this. Let's let him do that. Like, I know he can blow up a plane, but... Like, no one's got that much pull. Yeah, like, he's got more pull than some governments. Like, what is happening? That build up to the first atomic bomb exploding is fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Like, the the exploding of it, like the countdown, the... You know, how they've all got to have the glasses to stop them seeing the actual explosion itself. Totally. In terms of action, it's pretty intense. No, it's it's pretty crazy. And it's super, super, like, cool to make something as like, simple as a test, like, yeah. that, you know, yeah. dramatic. Not, not even the actual use of the thing, you know, which is... Yeah. They did. <laughs> Terrible to laugh at, but they did. Just testing it is bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. You could see why he quickly backtracked. <laughs> He's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, guys. Yeah. I, I, I just really liked the, you know, it makes you think, though, like, if you were against Nazi Germany, what would you do? I think that the main thing is yeah, you can't, like, you know, I think many people's opinion is maybe you just don't drop it on a populated city. Um, you you try well, it first well, as a as a yeah, deterrent, yeah, yeah. just a deterrent, as a show of an force. Deterrent somewhere. Um, yeah. But you know, I guess my point is like the actual development of it. I don't. I, you know, I think I, I leave I leave this movie thinking like, yeah, it had to be developed, right? Like that was there. There was a there was a real scenario where if you don't involve yourself and you don't 
push you know the the people to build it someone worse might right like yeah someone will within the within the context of what i know you know i i don't i don't begrudge Oppenheimer and the US for developing it. It's more yeah. what happens after. And I guess that's the escalation point as well. We've sort of roughly touched on you build this big bomb, is someone gonna build a bigger one, then a bigger one and a bigger one, like what wet wet stop. Yeah, but it when when you can blow the world up, like what was the line? Like, what's the difference? Drowning in, you know, a hundred feet of water or a thousand, you still drown. Like at some point Yeah. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bigger doesn't matter. Right. It was beautifully shot the 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 testing of the bomb just on a side note. The the silence directly after it how how it was just like quiet. It was eerie <laughs> as all hell and yeah. kind of horrifying. And and it leads into that scene afterwards we sort of been jumping around about where he's, you know, they're celebrating. They're like, "We did it. They dropped the bomb." And then he's having these flash sort of like mental images of like the actual people suffering from it and they're it's like juxtaposing the joy and adulation and love for him with like this like hideous yeah the hideous effects of what's happened what what could be actually happening to people and it's fucking terrifying yeah no it is it's uh that was the coolest Nolan part is absolute pomp now nah, he killed it there now i wonder though i mean yes sir what do you like what do you think he does next i know we're that's going i'm going off script but do you think he does another biopic or do you think he goes back to sci-fi that's a really good question nolan um i don't think he'll do another biopic he seems to be doing various one one of each different (laughs) one in one out what's he not done i think i think the next one does is a buddy cop comedy you know (laughs) (laughs) what do you reckon no, I feel like he goes like he goes sci-fi. He goes sci-fi. He goes historical fiction, or sorry, historical biopic. Sci-fi historical biopic. Interesting. Didn't he go like Interstellar, Dunkirk, then Tenant, Opie? So you reckon he'll do like a future sci-fi? I yeah. don't know. I think he, he might do something a little different, something a little bit um, more grounded next time. Because he's not done like a really grounded film for a while. Like I know this, this is, is grounded, grounded yeah. but it's very sci-fi. This, well, one one of the things we didn't talk about was like the fact that if you're not a nuclear physicist or you're not a theoretical physicist 90 percent of the dialogue in this movie is going to go way over your head like they it literally like they just don't explain anything they just throw you in and expect you to keep up yeah. i was like half the time i was like yeah cool i know quantum physics <laughs> yeah. i guess like that's part of like the comedy of it is like more the interactions not what they're saying like how they act so, so we're saying buddy cop movie next. Perfect. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about tones and themes then. What we what what were your key tones and themes for this? I mean, one that stuck with me was like the the result of kind of hubris in general and like an ambition. Hubris yeah. is one of mine. Yeah. Um, yep. They definitely investigate like you know the the military industrial complex is a theme. Yeah. And the abil- and hum- humanity's ability to harness science and technology. Yeah. Like all of that mixed together. The moral boundaries of that. Yeah. Shaking up in that cocktail. Yeah. This is a weird cocktail we're making over here. I feel, <laughs> I feel like it's just, just getting added to. I, I, yeah. I feel like the the because the, it's not like a fictional thing. Like the theme of, of the story he's trying to tell, though, is like, you know, technology will progress. I, I would argue technology will progress like ruthlessly forward. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's, its repercussions are not fully understood until after it's been, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I had a tone and a theme, and I wonder if you've picked up on this. And I know we've been doing our anthology, which has been a lot of fun. But it's one that's sort of run through a lot of his movies, like 
right right from the back of like memento so like this sort of theme of like and i kind of touched on it a moment ago kind of being careful what you wish for and like Mm -hmm. maybe your dream job in quotation marks isn't all it's hyped up to be like you look at things like memento he wanted to be a police officer and it fucked his life because he was taking on the side you look at inception Cobb's dream job is to be these uh, an an inceptor. Let's call it Incepticon. <laughs> he is he's uh a, a, and it basically fucks his life by incepting his own wife. There is this theme running through it. Do you think he's got this like self hatred? Like he really doesn't actually <laughs> like his job. No, I think he likes his job. <laughs> I, I think, think so too. But it's like it is it is unmistakable that there is something about you know, being careful what you wish for in all of his movies as like a running theme. Yeah, I think it's also just a fun, you know, that conflict is a is a pretty fun thing to explore, right? So I think he just he taps into that. Totally. Yeah. All right, then. What we do now is we give you three reasons you might want to watch this movie and three reasons why you might not. We would usually do non-spoilers, but as we're going full spoilers here, let's do it, DL. What are your three best and three worst? Uh, my three best would have to be I mean, the, just the cast and overall performances is definitely one. Yep. I think a, the largely nuanced view the movie takes on some pretty tough subjects, including, you know, technology, the big historical things that happened, as well as like the critique of, kind yep. of the U.S. government and freedom of thought and just in general on techno- technological advancement. I think it's worth, you know, worth viewing just for that. And then I would argue like one of the yep. more cool scenes, like my favorite poignant scenes is like that post-success scene, which I think is like, you know, the climax, my climax of the 100%. movie, I think is worth worth sitting through at least the first two hours of, yeah. You climaxed in the movie. Yes, I did. <laughs> That's actually my second one. I had that totally, like that juxtaposition of like the, the joy and adu- like I said, adulation versus the horror of the thing. So I did also call out performances, but more specifically Killian Murphy's. I thought the way he portrayed, you know, this clearly troubled person Mm -hmm. and how he found solace in this thing which he kind of knew was a bad idea but was so fascinated by he ran with anyway really fascinating really interesting Uh, my third one was the 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 nolan-ness of this movie like this like i say feels like a culmination of you know everything from memento to the the time dilation like a dunkirk it feels like a lot of his not greatest hits that's the wrong way of looking at it but like He's learned so much from his other movies and how to build these stories that it feels very much like this is a culmination of those things. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I want to give you my first worst because it mirrors nicely my last best. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Nolanness of this movie is my first worst. Mm. So if you know, if you're not a Nolan fan, if you're not someone who is massively like we are, enamored with his work. This could be long and dull and just a biopic about someone you know little about. Like, I can see this might not be for everyone. I actually think, like, the first 75% is for most people. It's that, you know, I think that's the three hoursness of it. <laughs> yeah. That would off put well, people. Like, the, the black and white. Yeah. Yeah, the time dilation, the jumping back and forth between different story arcs. If you just want like a straightforward movie, if you're like a fan of Transformers, for example. Well, yeah, like, of course. This is not going to be for you. <laughs> if you didn't know that. That's what I mean. It's just not yeah, for Yeah, if you didn't know that, like, that's that's tough. What about your other it's two? tough on you. What about your other two? What, uh, yeah, I, I had whoever played Einstein. 
I didn't I didn't love that role. Like it was a bit weird. Like the guy who played him kind of looked like a plastic model. Uh, um, okay. not not for me. Not for me. That was that was an interesting plot point we didn't get to talk about the whole how Passing of the baton. Thought, yeah. Yeah, how Strauss thought that Oppenheimer had undermined him to Einstein when really Einstein was overwhelmed by how problematic the work could be. Yeah. And then I just had sort of like I mentioned the duality of Oppenheimer's personality and like how I felt maybe he was naive in pushing forward with this uh, project. I, for so, it played on my mind a lot while I was watching yeah. it. I mean that yeah, that's not even a bad like maybe maybe that's just the the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe. And so the truth hurts, DL. The truth hurts. Yeah. <laughs> what are your worst, man? My last 45 minutes, you know, I just didn't love it. Um, and yeah, again, yeah, yeah. a lot of show yeah. don't tell in the last 45 minutes. So those are my first two. And then uh, I just feel a bit shortchanged on my Florence Pugh nudity time based off of what was coming out before. <laughs> so I'm just glad I'm not in Southeast Asia seeing this movie because oh, then I'd really? be really mad. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. That would really suck. All right. So what we do now normally is we rank this movie on our classic rating system, which is, is it better or worse than Ackerman 2018, which we both know it is. So what we are going to do is hold off till next week. And then we are going to ask which of the Barbenheimer movies is better. Is that what you want to do? That's what I want to do. I want to get to the bottom of it. Nice. So instead then let's quickly rank the Nolan movies. We've been doing it as we've been going through. So, so far we have watched Tenet. We have obviously watched Oppenheimer. We have watched The Prestige. We've watched Dunkirk. We've watched Interstellar, Batman Begins, Memento, and Inception. DL, what is your rating system for those movies? So my rating so far was Inception, The Prestige. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Dark Knight. Yep. No, you mean The Batman Begins. Oh, that we've seen. Sorry, Batman Begins. Memento. Dunkirk, Interstellar, Tenet. Hmm. And I would yep. probably have to put Oppenheimer. I don't know if I would put it above. I would put it above Dunkirk. So I would make it number five. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think like I found this really hard. So my rating, system, my rating so far is Inception, Memento, Batman Begins, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Prestige, and Tenet. Now, I really struggle because I, I don't like this more than Inception or Memento. Yeah. Batman Begins for me is just like, a, like it is a snapshot of my life. That is a thing that I don't think even Nolan will surpass. Yeah. Dunkirk, loved that a lot. Instead, loved that a lot. Prestige, one of my favorites of his movies. And I'm sad that it's like it was like second to bottom. So this is my second to bottom of a favorite of his movies. Really? So it's Inception, Memento, Batman, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Prestige, Oppenheimer, and Tenet. And not because it's a bad movie, just because the others are so good. I could argue Dunkirk's better. Like, that's a debate. They're very similar in, in what they are. I, I think Dunkirk's better than this as well, but um, the, maybe it's because I've, I've seen some of these tricks before. Yeah. Okay, DL. Yeah. Let's finish up the show with a little bit of trivia, true or false. DL. True or false, in order for the black and white sections of this movie to be shot in the same quality as the rest of the film, Kodak actually developed the first ever black and white film stock for IMAX. Is that true or is that false? True. It is true. <laughs> it's mad. I, I, I Fascinating that they did No that. one's got Paul. I, I, like, true. 
He literally, yeah, he's literally creating the future. Fascinating. Or the past. Uh, true or false, DL? Matt Damon was actually set to take a break from filming and even promised his wife under one condition, if Nolan made the call, he would do the movie. Is that true or is that false? It feels like this might be a trick question. It's like some timeline thing, but I'm going to say true. It is true. As luck would have it, Nolan actually offered Damon the role and the break has just been put on hold. <laughs> so I assume he's on, he's on break now. Uh, and finally then, true or false? The Harry S. Truman line, don't you ever bring that crybaby back in here ever again, is historically factual. Is that true or is that false? Uh, so President Truman kicking Oppenheimer out of his office. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It feels true. It is true. Yeah. Apparently Truman did actually say it to his staff after his meeting with Oppenheimer, which sort of completes Oppenheimer's quotation marks redemption to the whole piece yeah. of being like, you know, feeling all of his guilt. Uh, ultimately, this just Chris Nolan, man. Like, what, what more can we say at this point? Like, he's just the, the auteur in cinema right now. I can't think of any other director that I would drop everything for and go and watch a three-hour movie by him. I can, Scorsese, and I'll be doing it with the new movie with him, Leo, and De Niro. But Flower, Flower of Flower the Sunset Moon, Moon or something, some shit something? like that. <laughs> I don't know. There. That's it. All right, yeah. let's wrap it up, DL. Where can they find you us? You can find us at thepodcastassemble at gmail.com or podcastassemble on Instagram where we'd be posting stuff. Reels, more like. We be posting stuff. Check out our check out our last episode with David Pot Beckenfeld. We've started posting reels just there. We're gonna post some more. Fascinating. The dude is a three RV three D V R artist. Absolute legend. Uh, highly recommend checking that episode yeah. out. So until then, man, share the pod, give us a review. Five star baby! And we really appreciate your ears and eyeballs. Yeah. If you know anyone who likes this kind of stuff, please do pass it on. We love it when you do. Uh, we love getting more ears on this. And a five-star review will always help with that. It will. Until next time, guys and girls and everyone. Later, gators. Tally-ho! Tally-ho. Tally-ho.